This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. This weekend was marked by protests around the world sparked by the murder of George Floyd. Here at home, the demonstrations were peaceful, marked by some officials expressing solidarity with the protesters and vowing action against systemic anti-black racism. And we're seeing the advent of a new rallying cry, defund the police. The Minneapolis City Council voted to disband their police force and their mayor is now trying to find a compromise. And around the world, people are asking the question, will this time be different? Will it bring change? And where are we at here in Ontario? Um, The numbers, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And right now, let's go to Anthony Morgan, who is a racial justice lawyer and advocate and speaker, and Nigel Barif, president of the Urban Alliance on Race Relations. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks so much for having me on. So let's start uh, with that overriding question. Is this time different? Is there going to be change as a result of this? Nigel. I think it's um, what we see, what we're feeling um, is that we have to make change. That that this is about Regis um, Paquette, who, who lost her life with police officers that were in the room. This is about George Floyd. Floyd, who who lost his life because a police officer had his neck, his knee on his neck. It's happened too many times, and you know what what we're seeing is that enough is enough. We've had too many reports, we've had too many promises, yet you know people within our community continue to die. So this the anti-black racism has to stop. Anthony Morgan, do you think this time will be different? I think it largely depends on whether uh, enough whether enough of uh, your listeners or folks in community see the value of black people and their lives beyond this moment. So I think it really is up to us to determine collectively as a society, it's not just a black problem. It's certainly not just a white problem. It's our society problem. It's a human rights problem. Uh, We have, uh, as all people, a fundamental human right to be treated as equal. And what uh, black communities and their allies are, are really saying is come join us in our collective struggle for humanity on this issue. So whether or not it will really bring change will depend on uh, how long people pay attention to this issue and whether or not they're willing to continue to work in solidarity with black communities beyond this moment. One of the things I, I have to say, I think Canadians in general, we look at what's going on in the United States and we say, okay, we are not like that. We are different. Uh, we are better. What What do you say to that, Nigel? Are you there, Nigel? Yes. We have to look at what's happened in, in Canada. Just, again, recently I just mentioned with what happened with Regis, you know, what we saw with Andrew Loku. 
there's been years, and Anthony's written on this extensively, years of, um, of, of black, brown, and indigenous people who are dying disproportionately at the hands of the police. When we get, when, you know, we, families just want to be able to call the police when they're, when their family members in, in crises. And when we do, disproportionately, our community members are dying at the hands of the police, and this has to stop. Anthony, those, are, those examples, uh, there were mental health issues involved. Is that a separate thing? No, it's absolutely interconnected. If you look at uh, the data, uh, uh, by my last check, I think one in uh, seven uh, Canadians across Canada will experience some sort of mental health challenge at some point in their life. So it is a widespread phenomenon, and you compound that with the way in which anti-black racism leaves many black people feeling mistreated, unheard, misunderstood, and dismissed. That also can create mental and social stresses, not to mention uh, how that kind of treatment can lead to poverty, unemployment, and disadvantage. And so when we think about these issues, we can't think about mental health issues over here and black issues over there because there are black people who live with mental health challenges and we're seeing that there are deadly consequences or there have in too many instances and deadly consequences when those intersections, that interconnection is not uh, recognized. One thing I want to say quickly is that uh, it is not just black communities and protesters uh, who are going out and have said that this must stop. We have Many reports have been acknowledged, even by our different levels of government, including the Ontario Ombudsman. Uh, Paul Dubé released a report essentially saying the same thing, enough is enough. The way in which our police services interact with people in mental distress, especially people who are black with mental distress, it is, it, it is alarming and we need to undertake specific reforms to address these challenges. What about this new uh, battle cry, defund the police? Yeah. So I'd love to speak to that. What I think is really important for us to realize is that uh, when, we, when it comes to public funds, we have to be good stewards of our money. This is public resources and, and government politicians. They have to be good stewards of it, especially in this time of COVID where governments are struggling to find resources. But if you look at the history of how we've funded, especially at the city level, our different services, Police services, they get dramatic amounts of money, whereas our services for health care, community services, parks and rec, child care, transportation, they get a small fraction comparatively to what the police get. So these calls about defund the police aren't about hating the police. They're not about uh, a, a violence against the police. What they're really about is saying, hey, we actually have this other pool of services that we really, really need to support the well-being, inclusion, belonging, and thriving of our communities. So why don't we re- redirect some of those resources and, and uh, create more of an equal balance on this? Also, to build on what Anthony's saying, the city has the response. The city, the, the mayor and the 22 councillors are the ones that are in charge of this budget. They also have policies that the board has to that the, the 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 city has to hold its um hold the police accountable to our human rights um and our anti-black uh, policies that the that they are responsible to and if the if the Toronto police services aren't meeting them aren't me- meeting up to them then they have a fiduciary responsibility to follow up and hold the police accountable that's why we're at the urban alliance we've asked we've called for 
a public inquiry into circumstances that happened um, around the death of just of um, of Regis. Uh, yeah, one of the things that was pointed out, though, in terms of, uh, you know, having a separate, uh, you know, a, se- a separate service responding to mental health, uh, you know, some the way I've heard it put is that if there's a situation with violence involved and some 25-year-old social worker turns up, it's not going to end well either. You know, I'm a school teacher but by profession, right? Every day we deal with children and families that are in crises. And, and nurses, registered nurses, we have public servants that deal with the public when they are in crises and they don't die. This is about stopping the disproportionate deaths that are happening to black, brown and indigenous people here in our city and across the country. Okay. Yeah, and, uh, and if I could add to that, it's really important that in these conversations we don't get caught in the emotion of it and the fear and the worry and stop and think, well, what does the actual data say? The data for years has been very clear that people living with mental illness are actually much more likely to be harmed and injured by police services or other members of the public than to actually uh, affect harm on anybody else. So I understand the emotional response, but we have to go back to the fact on such an important issue. I'd like to now bring in Dr. Akwazi Owusu-Bempe. He is an assistant professor of sociology at the University of Toronto in Mississauga. Hi there. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for uh, joining us. So uh, with this new rallying cry, defund the police, what's your take on it? Yeah, I think this is, you know, a, a very necessary uh, fiscally responsible thing to do, as well as something that's been a long time coming. Um, you know, I, I, I know both Nigel and Anthony very well, and I'm sure they've provided a, a lot of perspective like mine, but uh, we've had modern policing for about 200 years, 100 years in this country, and over that time, we've simply asked the police to do more and more, and their budgets reflect that. Uh, I think when many people hear defund the police, they, they're thinking of police abolition, which is not what is being discussed here. What's really being discussed, what some people are calling for police abolition, but defunding is really simply a realignment of the roles and responsibilities that are given to police, having many of those directed to other organizations or institutions that are better equipped to deal with those matters, and a reallocation of the funds to go with that. I am talking to Dr. Akwazi Owusu-Bempe, sociology professor, Anthony Morgan, a racial justice lawyer, and Nigel Barif, who is president of the Urban Alliance on Race Relations. We've been talking about the police and the way the police handle racialized communities. And what about the public figures that we've seen showing solidarity with the protesters, Chief Mark Saunders, who is also black, taking a knee, Justin Trudeau wading into the crowd, taking a knee, John Tory saying that he's energized to make things better. Uh, how important is that, uh, Dr. Bempe? Dr. Bempa. Bempa. Bempa, sorry. No, it's okay. It's a long name, phonetic. Uh, so I will say, you know, the, the symbolic gestures um, are... Hopefully not just that, you know, taking a knee, demonstrating with protesters, um, words of affirmation, you know, all seemingly good. They uh, lead for good photo ops and sound bites. But at the end of the day, what it is that needs to be addressed, and this is what people that are demonstrating for and, and the work that the folks on the call with me today have been working at for a long time is, you know, a, a, a serious 
um, dismantling of the, the, the racist structures that exist within our society um, and the way in which those influence our institutions, organizations, and individual behavior. Um, they could be, they're, they're just, they may be without action to follow up, just window dressing. Anthony, does it make a difference that we have a black police chief? I think if we ask black communities how they about their lived reality, I think that's where we can get to a point of saying, well, while there hasn't been some progress, much more needs to be done. So as a racial justice uh, lawyer, I've been able to speak to these issues for a number of years, but now I actually work for the city of Toronto. I'm leading a team called the Confronting Anti-Black Racism Unit, which is responsible for implementing a plan, the Toronto Action Plan, to confront anti-black racism. And within that plan, there are several actions that the Toronto Police Service has committed to undertake to address many of the concerns that people who are protesting are calling for. So whether or not it makes a difference to have a black police really, really uh, will be decided by Chief Saunders himself on the basis of how aggressively and uh, respectfully he takes up these actions that have already been committed to by his service. I'm going to take a call from Ricardo in Toronto. Hello, Ricardo. Hi, Ricardo. Hi, Liz. How are you doing? Fine. It's Libby. Go uh, ahead. Liz, how are you doing? Go ahead. You're on the air. Um, I just want to make a few comments about it because, um, number one, I didn't like what happened in Buffalo after all this incident. Oh, that, that, that was, was not called for. That was crazy. That, I mean, a 70-year-old man who was just standing there, and they never even had a chance to stop and look at him. They just left him. That was disgusting, you know? But my point of it is, I hope as long as they keep it peacefully and carry on to march, and they can make the protests and everything. I wasn't, you would not know, but I was in Black Power in 1969. And that's a long, long time ago. Yep. And I became a minister after that. I'm, I'm Right now, I'm preaching in an Anglican church at Western Road and Eglinton. And I try to give peace to everybody. Okay, thank you for that, Ricardo. We've got some kind of uh, echo on there. Um, Let me ask our panel this. One of the things that really worries me about this, the pandemic has disproportionately affected blacks and other communities of color. Are, are you worried about these protests seeding another wave of the pandemic, Anthony? I think in this context, of course, it's um, been a thought, but anybody who's seen the pictures and observed what's happening, folks are doing a really good job to maintain a level of social distance, masks are being uh, uh, being worn actively. Uh, but what I also want us to really think about is that the level of urgency and concern that communities are feeling about anti-black racism has reached such a point in our society, our multicultural, diverse, inclusive society, we like to say, that people are willing to take the risk of possibly contracting COVID. That should make us all, no matter who are as Canadians concerned about the level of anti-black racism to which we've reached in our society, that, that folks are willing by the thousands to take on that risk. To me, that means we need to take urgent and immediate action that's going to be long-standing and generational. Akwazi, how do you see that? 
Yeah, uh, exactly like Anthony does, you know. I think people understand that when they go out and they demonstrate at the moment that they're uh, running the risk of, of contracting COVID, that they're running the risk of violence at the hands of the police. But ultimately, we know that it's disproportionately black and, and certain other racialized groups that are already more likely to die of COVID and most certainly l- likely to die um, as a result of police violence and other forms of structural violence. This pandemic will pass. There will be a vaccination developed and the pandemic will pass. Unless we seriously confront anti-black racism in our society, it will continue to uh, infect the lives of not only blacks, but uh, uh, of, of all people in our society as it has for the last 400 or so years. And Nigel, but before we get to to that, the one point I want to make is that it's 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 not a foregone conclusion that we will get a vaccine. There's not a vaccine for every uh, you know. We'll, we'll hopefully we'll for sure get treatments, but I don't know about a vaccine. Nigel, uh, how do you see the danger of doing this amid the pandemic? I mean, I think also to build on what um, the previous two speakers have shared, this is um, you know while COVID is. is is a clear and present danger, especially for folks from from Black and Brown communities, as, as what's you know some of the data, as although it's not as robust as it's needed, demonstrates. People are upset because you know what we're really dealing with, or what we haven't, what we're trying to reckon with, is a history of racial injustice in Canada. You know, um, we've had slavery here in Canada. Uh, black people in Canada have have been treated historically through policies as being almost second-class citizens in many ways. And so our relationship with the police has been strained and, and the trust has been gone for so long. So, yeah, when even though you have COVID that is, is a clear and present danger, as, as the professor says and Anthony says, it's too, um, this issue is too deep in our, in our, in our bones. Our, our, our elders and our ancestors have been dealing this, with this for centuries, and we need to make this stop. And so no, it's no wonder why these calls for defunding the police, you're hearing it not only in our city, but right across North America. Akwazi, how do you distinguish between the situation here and the situation in the United States? Uh, that's a very good question and one that's not easy to answer. On many uh, issues, it's a matter of magnitude. So my area of study, of course, is race and criminal injustice. Um, what we see is the criminal justice system, if we're talking just criminal justice, is much larger in the United States than it is in Canada. So uh, irrespective of your race, um, you have a much greater chance in America of having the criminal justice system come into your life in some way. The police, the Americans are a much more violent society, and the police are more violent. So all of those things disproportionately affect everyone. One of the things that I'm interested in is levels of magnitude. So disparities, for example, between white and black people. And what we see when we look at the data that we have is that on some measures, um, black people in Canada fare worse than blacks in the United States. For example, we've got um, data we're about to publish uh, that demonstrates that in 2010, 7.5% of black males between the ages of 18 and 25 experienced incarceration in that year. 7.5%. 7.5%. And when you compare that to, now it's often federal and state data in the United States, those numbers are greater. We know that our Indigenous population experiences incarceration at a greater rate than African Americans, right? And, and we see this similarly in rates of um, uh, contact with the child welfare system, as well as some other social indicators as well. So while things on the whole, in some respects, are worse in the United States, 
Um, again, I'm, I'm interested in magnitude and difference between groups, and, and in some of those we fare worse here in Canada, which is why, you know, Anthony and I have been um, working on a project recently that revolves around uh, how we reduce uh, disparate sentencing. So to how do we reduce the over-incarceration of African Canadians? And, you know, we have some novel approaches here in Canada, the Sentencing and Parole Project, where Anthony is a key um, figure in, in, in establishing, seeks to ameliorate that difference by taking into account the way in which systemic racial discrimination impacts upon the offending trajectories of black people, which leads to their over-incarceration. As an example of, you know, some of the strategies we have here in Canada that they don't have in the United States. I I just want to make a note. I watched this really interesting documentary on the weekend called, uh, it was either Amendment 13 or 13 by Ava DuVernay. And uh, it, it pointed out how in, in the amendment that abolished slavery, it took away the civil rights of, of criminals, and that resulted in the criminalization of many black people for very, very minor offenses, and how that sort of carried through to their incredible rates of uh, incarceration in the United States. They have 2.3 million people in jails there. So that was the, the documentary, the 13th, which essentially enabled criminalization to reinstitute slavery, um, right? Yep. You know, we, we had a different system here, as, as, as Nigel mentioned. We had slavery and segregation that existed. Actually, segregation in this country up until the 1980s and 1990s, really, if you consider seg- uh, residential schools there, too. But African-Canadians experienced segregation until the 1980s. Um, slavery and segregation, uh, essentially, as the 13th shows, served as racial caste systems, right? They separated, in this case, black um, citizens, or although they suffer from a, a de-citizenized or, you know, de-enfranchised status from the rest of society. And now, in a very real way, our criminal justice system basically fills that void. And so when we look at the statistics, for example, federally, that 30% of federal uh, uh, people under federal correctional supervision are Indigenous, um, and over 10% are black, although those populations comprise just about 3% each of the, the national population, we can come to understand how by locking up in cages, right, and removing from the workforce and from other areas of social life, we have a, a, a racialized caste system operating in this country as well. So uh, we're starting to run out of time. Uh, just to wrap things up, what do you expect to see resulting from this and in what kind of a timeline? Let's start with Anthony. With what I, I hope to see, um, while there's still, again, a lot of work that needs to be done, the Toronto Action Plan to confront anti-black racism or, and or the uh, sentencing and parole project that uh, Akwasi mentioned that uh, him and I and others are, are, are working on are key interventions that have actually shown themselves on the basis of evidence. I'm not just suggesting it because I'm connected to it or that because we are connected to it, but there are solutions that are in place. The challenge is that folks uh, often want to reinvent the wheel when it comes to these issues, but I mean, we're, I think we're all going to call folks in to say, no, there are actually solutions on the table. What we need is support on implementation, follow-through, and accountability. Okay, Nigel, and uh, 20 seconds, please. Yeah, we've got we've to deal with weeding out the um, you know, white supremacies within our police forces. Uh, one of the things that we, we should start with immediately here in Toronto is calling for a public inquiry into the circumstances around Regis's death. That would be like a, 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 a first step that says, yes, 
we're willing to hold police officers accountable to their actions. A quasi. After we acknowledge the presence of structural racism in our society, I would like to see some of the police budget going to the efforts of Anthony at the city and Nigel in our school boards. Okay. Thank you. All three of you, thanks very much for that. And that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.